So let me ask you if this has ever happened to you. You're watching a great movie, maybe it's a great TV show, and right at the moment where something super exciting is happening, the, the big climax is getting ready to take place, it gets interrupted by some kind of news broadcast. They're letting you know rain is coming or something crazy like that. Doesn't that drive you nuts when that happens? You know, I remember back when I was a kid and I would come home from school every afternoon. This is back in the 70s. And I always look forward to, in the afternoon at 4 p.m., I was gonna get to watch Gilligan's Island. And then again, at 4.30, Star Trek was coming on. I mean, that was a great afternoon for me. But I remember one time in May of 73, when all of that got preempted and they started to show the Watergate hearings. I mean, you talk about boring. It's just a bunch of old men sitting around talking with each other. And I thought, why, why are you interrupting my intellectually stimulating afternoon for this? Of course, what I didn't realize at the time was that something much more important was happening than my rerun. You know, what if our current situation is simply God's interrupting us? What if, what if God intends to use this interruption to challenge us to not live our lives the same way, to maybe make some adjust, adjustments, to consider some things that we haven't considered in a while? This message today is entitled Interruption. And we're going to begin by looking at a group of people in the Bible that we're living severely interrupted lives. You can open your Bibles or turn on your app with me to the prophet Jeremiah. He's going to be near the end of the Old Testament. And uh, we're going to look at a verse in Jeremiah chapter 29. It's verse 11. And it is probably one of the most quoted verses out of the Old Testament. You know, it's, it's kind of funny how we pick verses sort of at random, but verses that mean something to us in the moment that, you know, we, we take them out of context and that can be dangerous. You know, some people just kind of, they'll say, well, God, maybe you'll speak to me if I flip through some pages and just put my finger down. Well, God can speak to us that way, but there's a better way to do it. You see, it's really important to understand the context of a verse if we're gonna really understand what it means to us. So we would be asking questions like, what is the message and who is it being written to? What are the circumstances that are, they're writing? And so what, how would those people have understood the message? And then that's gonna help us understand the message as well. So let's look at this verse together, Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 11. You've probably seen this posted a lot on social media lately. Here's what it says. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Wow. That is a great verse, isn't it? I mean, wow, that, who, who doesn't want to glom onto that verse, right? And claim it for your own. It's, it's an awesome verse. But the challenge comes when our experience in life doesn't exactly measure up to the verse. Like the promise is there, God has given it, but man, our experiences are different. Sometimes bad things do happen. <laughs> Sometimes life sucks out hope like a dry piece of cornbread sucks moisture out of your body, right? I mean, sometimes life happens. So how do we reconcile a promise like this with our experiences? Well, context helps a lot. 
So what was the context of this verse in Jeremiah? Well, the Old Testament reveals that many times God's people would go astray. They would start being wicked and doing things that they shouldn't be doing. They had a, a series of really lousy kings that led them in some bad directions. And so the nation had been divided into a northern and southern kingdom. And, and this southern kingdom of Judah was about to receive judgment from God. In fact, what God would do often is he would use peoples around his nation, wicked people, to bring judgment, to interrupt the lives of his people so that they wouldn't keep doing things the same way they were doing them. They would come back to their roots and their foundations. And that's exactly what had happened here. Wicked King Nebuchadnezzar from what we would say is modern day Iraq, from Babylon, had come in and actually taken over Judah and actually taken half of the inhabitants of Judah and displaced them. They were in exile now in Babylon. So this displaced people are under the thumb of their enemies and they're wondering and worried about their future. They don't know what's going to happen. Does it sound familiar? Maybe just a little bit. You see, it was in this context of really bad things that had already happened that this promise comes. God says, I have plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you hope and a future. Can you see how those words would take on even deeper meaning in that kind of context. You see, God is telling them, no matter where you are, you are still my people. And I love you. I care about you. I have a plan that I'm working on your behalf. How encouraging that would have been for them in the bad setting in which they found themselves. God also told them some other things. We won't go there, but in verses four and five, the scripture actually says that God said, I'm the one who brought you into Babylon. I'm the one that caused you to be exiled. I brought this interruption into your life because I wanted to get your attention and I wanted you to make some changes. And God tells them something else too. God tells them that he, they shouldn't listen to the people that are telling them that this is gonna be over soon. God says it's gonna be 70 years that you're in exile. A whole generation is gonna come and go before you see my deliverance. Wow. God promised to be with them and he promises to be with you and me. That is his promise. But God never promises that our journey is gonna be pain-free and our journey is gonna be an easy one. <laughs> it reminds me of another great song out of the 1970s that Lynn Anderson made popular. Do you remember? It starts like this. It says, I beg your pardon. Sing the rest of it with me. You know it, right? I never promised you a rose garden. <laughs> yeah, right. God never promised us a rose garden. He never promised that everything was going to be wonderful. In fact, Jesus promised just the opposite. If you look with me in John chapter 16, Jesus made this promise. He's talking to his disciples, and he's telling them about some bad things that are getting ready to happen. And in that context, this is what he says. I have told you these things. This is John chapter 16, verse 33. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In the world, here it is, you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus says, take heart. Trust me because I've overcome the world. You see, for the Christian, our spiritual journey begins when we put our faith 
in Jesus. We put our faith in what he's done on the cross, that he died for our sins, he paid the penalty, and he rose again, and he's alive and well right now. We put our faith in him, and that's how we begin our spiritual journey. But then our journey continues from that day forward while here on earth with trust. We trust Jesus regardless of our circumstances, regardless of how well or how easy things are going or how difficult things are. We continue to trust him even when trouble comes. If you don't think trouble is going to come, what do you do with Job and that story in the Old Testament? This God-lover, this God-fearing man who lost everything of value in his life. And at the worst of the worst moments in his life, he said these words. He said, even if God kills me, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. You know, most of the Psalms that we look to for comfort, they were written in the context of something bad that was happening. You know, something was going on and the writer was crying out to God, God, will you deliver me? And then the, usually they end with this declaration of trust in God. God, I can trust you regardless. You know, here's the reality. And you may not like to hear this, but it's the truth. I cannot promise you that everything is going to be okay. No one can assure us that everything is going to be okay. I can't promise that you won't get sick or someone you love won't get sick or that you might not lose your job or your income or, or worse. I can't make that kind of promise to you. In fact, it would be cruel of me to make that promise on behalf of God. Sometimes bad things do happen. But here's a truth that we Christians can rely on absolutely we can trust God's ways even when we don't understand them. I'm going to say that again. We can trust God's ways even when we don't understand them. God spoke the prophet, through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 55, and he said, My ways are higher than yours. As far as the heavens are above the earth, my ways are above your ways. We don't always understand God's ways, but we can trust his love for us. We can trust his motives and his power and his mercy. In fact, God spoke to me and told me that there would be some people watching me today, and some bad things, some terrible things have happened to you or to someone you love. And because of those things, you've had a hard time with God. You've, you've kept him at arm's distance away from you. You've been angry at God. How could God let this happen? Maybe you've even doubted there is a God. How could there be a loving God if this happened in my life? Friend, I am so sorry those things have happened. And I can't begin to answer all of those questions that you have, except to say, God doesn't always get what he wants. Sometimes God chooses to allow his will to be bent to man's decisions. He lets our decisions have impact, our good decisions and yeah, even our bad decisions. But friend, I want you to know this absolutely on the assurance of God's word. God loves you. He cares about you and he's reaching out to you right now. He wants to fill you with hope and with assurance of his presence and that he's working a plan for you. But if you wait, if you wait until you have all the answers that you're looking for, if you wait until everything kind of neatly comes together in a little package, well, that's never going to happen. And you'll miss out on what God has for you. Don't wait for perfect conditions to come to him. 
You know, there's some awesome news in the Bible that God gives us, and it's powerful. It's interesting. The Bible says one day Jesus will return. Have you ever heard about that before? They're like, seriously, Jesus is going to return to earth and he's going to gather everyone who ever has, has ever believed in him and followed him. And it's going to be awesome. He's going to create a new heaven and a new earth. There won't be any pain or suffering or death or any of that kind of stuff. And it's going to be wonderful. We're going to be with him forever. But the Bible also says before that day comes, that very difficult days will come. In fact, it uses the word perilous. Perilous times, times where there's earthquakes and famine and pestilence and all these really difficult kinds of things. The Bible says those are going to happen before God comes. In fact, people have asked me, I've had a few people say, Pastor, is, is that what we're looking at now? Are we beginning to see these signs of the end times? And my answer is honestly, I don't know for sure. But I do know this. I can trust that no matter what happens, God is working his plan. And so the question becomes, how are we supposed to respond? How do we respond when trouble comes? And it will come. We're in the middle of it right now. Well, I want us to take our cue from the Apostle Paul. We're going to look in the New Testament in a letter that he wrote to people in Philippi. It's called Philippians is the name of the book. And you can turn on your app or turn in your Bible there to Philippians chapter 4. And as you're turning there, I want you to know a little bit about the Apostle Paul. You know, he was originally um, angry against Christianity. He hated Christians and he, he worked against them and persecuted them. And then somehow miraculously, Paul became a follower of Jesus and ended up writing most of our New Testament. But Paul was no stranger to trouble. He was no stranger to hardship. The Bible tells us that he was shipwrecked on many occasions. He was beaten with whips to within an inch of his life. He was stoned and left for dead and even imprisoned on numerous occasions because of his following of Jesus. And Paul was actually in prison when he wrote these words, he was probably in what we would recognize as modern day Turkey. And he's writing to this church in Greece that he, that he started years earlier. And here's what he writes in Philippians chapter four. Here's what he talks about in responding. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Paul says we should rejoice in trouble. Now, that's not something we usually do. <laughs> you know, a friend of mine this week sent me a blog post from Tim Tebow, and it was very encouraging, and I really appreciated receiving that. And Tim, in his post, talked about this verse, and he said, you know, these aren't words that we typically use. It's not like we, we say, hey, why don't you come over and let's rejoice together at my place for a while. Like, we, we don't talk like that. One of the commentators I read said this, however, he said that Paul's joy wasn't based on some kind of great attitude or just, you know, having a positive outlook on life. Paul's joy came from a confidence that God was in control. Paul understood God had everything under control, even if he didn't understand what was happening. What Paul is saying, and what I want to encourage you to do in your responses to trouble, first is this, express confidence in God. Express a confidence in God. You know, I've discovered in my life that confident people are usually the most joyous people. They're the ones who seem to enjoy life the most because no matter what comes, they have a confidence that God's going to bring them through it. 
So I wanna ask you, I wanna urge you, make it your mission, especially during this season, to encourage others. Use your words and your actions, the, the way you live to build people up, to bring life to them, to add life and value to them. Build others up. And then Paul uses another word here. He says, let your gentleness be evident to all. That word gentleness in that moment, in, that, in this particular context, it literally means someone who is able to let go of their anxieties and all of their stressors. Why? Because they're confident that the Lord has taken up their cause. They're confident in the Lord, that God's got this. And so I can trust him. I can absolutely trust him. We're free to let go of those things. In fact, I wanna urge you to do something that may be a little, I don't know, some of you may not like it too much, but I wanna challenge you to stop rebelling, stop rejecting, stop being angry or fighting against the authorities over your life right now during this season. In fact, God wants us to pray for them. Do you know back in Jeremiah, where, when God was speaking to them about being in exile, he didn't say to fight against their enemies. He said, I want you to pray for the cities that you're in. I want you to pray for those people because if they prosper, you will prosper. What if we stopped all the ranting, all the conspiracy theories and all the anger online expressed toward our authorities? What if we stopped that and began speaking life began praying for them, for God to give them godly wisdom, whether they know where it comes from or not. They're just trying to figure this thing out too. What if we pray for them and say, God, will you work through them and make them successful? This is what God wants us to do. Look, friends, what's gonna happen next? I don't know what's gonna happen next, but I do know this. My faith in God that saves me is unwavering. And my trust in God that he's got a plan and he's working it, well, that gives me peace. And that peace is important to keep. And it can only be sustained if we do a, something else, a, a second response to trouble when it comes. And that is we need to maintain our connection with God. Look what Paul says in the next two verses there in Philippians chapter four. Paul says, do not be anxious uh, about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the God of peace, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Do you catch what Paul is saying? Paul is saying, pray, present your requests to God, and he will give you peace. In fact, I love that phrase, peace beyond understanding. To me, that means peace that doesn't make sense in the context. This is what God wants us to do. Now, it's difficult to trust someone that you don't know very well. And so it's gonna take continuous effort on our part to spend time in God's word, spend time reading and understanding more about who God is and about his ways, spend time praying and, and talking, having a conversation with God, because that's gonna build your connection and your relationship with God. You've always already heard there's a great opportunity this coming Wednesday night, 7 p.m., right here online. You can join us for prayer and it'll help you to know how to pray and some ways that you can pray in your life. It's, an, it's a great time to start doing this. I think ultimately what the Apostle Paul is telling us is to focus on things that build life into you. Look at the next verse, verse eight. This is important. Paul says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, 
whatever is right and pure and lovely and admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Paul is saying these are the things we need to be fueling our minds with. We might say it this way. Paul is saying um, to reject anxiety and instead to feed your peace. Feed your peace and starve your anxiety. You know, I did not grow up on a farm, but I'm smart enough to know that what you feed grows. And if you feed peace in your life, if you feed hope in your life, that's what's gonna grow. I'm not saying to, to, to just turn off everything. No, we need to stay connected. We need to know what's happening and what's being expected of us. But ultimately, fill your life and your heart and your mind with these things that bring life and hope and joy. If you and I do these things on a regular basis, if we express our confidence in God and encourage other people out of that confidence, if we spend time in his word and spend time praying, the result is gonna be our greater connection and relationship with God. And that's gonna mean that our confidence remains. Our confidence won't just be some temporary emotion that we try to, to push up in, into our lives. No, it's, it becomes based on our relationship with God. And that's gonna lead us to experience peace and hope. And if you and I live like that, if we're peaceful people, if we have hope in the middle of these kinds of struggles and challenges, that's gonna open the door for a third and final response I wanna encourage you to have to trouble. It's gonna allow you and me to readily share our reason for hope. This is what God wants us to do. In fact, another apostle, the apostle Peter, was writing in chapter 3 of the letter that bears his name, 1 Peter chapter 3, and he was writing to Christians who were being persecuted. They had been scattered throughout Asia. They had fled their cities out of fear of this persecution. They were afraid. They were worried. But Peter spoke these words to them, and I think they're really helpful for us. I'm going to begin a little ahead of where you're going to see it on the screen. Peter writes these words. He says, do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened, but in your hearts set apart or remember Christ is Lord. And then he says this, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and with respect. You see, you can have confidence. You can have hope in God because God is working his plan. It gives me great confidence and peace. And that enables me to be peaceful and confident around others. And I can begin to express that because I have hope and peace in the Lord. Friend, you can have peace and hope as well, regardless of your circumstances, regardless of what you've done, regardless of the kind of person you've been. Because you see, God's plan from the beginning has always been that his son Jesus would come and would die on a cross, the sacrifice, paying the penalty for your sins and for my sins. And that three days later, God would raise him from the dead, victorious over sin and all of its consequences, including death and hell. And that God would raise him up and at the last day, we would be with him forever in eternity. That's always been God's plan. And God's plan also includes you. God wants you to have that kind of relationship with him. He wants you involved in this so that you in this life can have hope and peace in Christ and have assurance 
of being with him forever in the next life. That's God's plan for you. Maybe you've never considered it, and maybe it took this interruption in your daily life, in the rerun, to get your attention. Perhaps God is speaking to you right now, and he's saying, why not receive my offer of relationship right now? In fact, we're going to pray together, and I'm going to invite you right where you are. It doesn't matter where you are. Jesus is right there with you, just as real as he is here with me and with others in the world today. Would you consider praying with me? Bow your head for just a moment, and let me pray for you, and then we're going to pray together. So, Lord Jesus, I thank you that right now there are people, maybe around the world, that are, are, are praying with me in this moment. And Jesus, you're right there with them in that room. And Lord, I pray that as they sense you drawing them to yourself into relationship, this relationship that will bring them peace and, and hope, I pray that you'll give them boldness to say yes. Help them to say yes to your offer of relationship today. Now listen, if you're praying with me, will you, will you just repeat this simple prayer after me? There's nothing magic about these words. You just need to mean it from your heart. Go ahead and just pray it out loud. It's okay. Just say this with me. Lord Jesus, go ahead, say it out loud. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you're hearing me right now. And I thank you that you're inviting me into relationship with you. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. And thank you for rising again in victory. And I thank you now, Jesus, that you're inviting me into relationship with you. So I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Wash me clean and make me new. I invite you into my life to bring me to new life. I believe that you're the only son of God and that you died and that God rose you from the dead and that you're coming into my heart right now. Jesus, I proclaim you as my Lord. I receive you today and the new life that you bring me. And I thank you for doing this. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, now let me pray just one more moment for you and then we'll be done. Lord Jesus, thank you for everyone that prayed with me in that moment and meant it from their heart. Your word says they're a new person. Whether they feel it or not, your word says they're brand new. And so God, I pray you would give them boldness to take next steps to understand more fully what you've just done in their lives and what you want to do for them and through them in the days ahead. And then, God, I pray for Christians all around the world today. I pray that you will give them greater trust in you, that no matter what happens, no matter what their circumstances, their confidence is in you. And may that be expressed in joy and their willingness to share their reason for hope with others around them. Keep them in peace and hope. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen. Hey, thank you so much for joining us today for church. It's not over yet. We're gonna send you back out to the foyer where you get a few more instructions. And don't forget, all of our MCC kids, there's a five-minute lesson coming up for you right away. Thanks, we'll see you next week. Thank you so much for joining us today. No matter when you happen to be watching this, if you made a decision to follow Christ, we would love to hear about it and help you as you begin your faith journey. The easiest way for this to happen is for you to text the number on the screen. We will send you some resources and also be in prayer for you as you start following Christ. 
Now, in just a couple moments, we're going to be heading up the hallway to our Family Life Center foyer for a brief lesson from some of our amazing MCC Kids Leaders. So get all the kids in the room and stay tuned. And as you do, let me give you a couple reminders. First, if you have any prayer needs that you would like our prayer team to be praying for, please email them to the address on the screen. It's church at mccag.org. Second, for those of you who can come out, join us for our prayer drive this Wednesday night at 7 p.m. For those who can't make it, you can still see it online. We're going to be streaming live on our Facebook page. This week, MCC, continue to be the amazing church that you are, wherever you are. Check on your neighbor, video chat with your community group, and find ways to show the love of Christ to somebody else around you. We always want to be experiencing God's presence and also living out His purpose. So serving others is a great way for you to do both at the same time. We hope to see you again next Sunday morning right here online at 11 a.m. But for now, let's take you up to the FLC foyer where Amy and Christy are ready with a five-minute lesson for all of our MCC kids. Kids, thank you for joining us this morning. This whole month, we've been learning about forgiveness. Forgiveness is deciding that someone who has wronged you doesn't have to pay. Our bottom line is when you don't forgive, you miss out. For today's Bible story, we're going to pick up where we left off last week with the parable of the lost son. Let's head into the FLC now and watch the rest of our puppet show. Hi, everyone. Last week, we talked about a parable that Jesus told, but we did not finish it. We saved the ending for today. Let's do a quick recap to get up to speed. It's time, once again, for the best puppet show ever. Previously on the story of the lost son. Father, give me my share of the family property. Oh, why, son, why? Oh, all right. Yay, I've got my money. Party, party, party. Oh, no, my money ran out and now I have to feed these pigs while I starve. I'm so hungry, I'm going to eat pig slop. Wait, I've got an idea. I'll go home to see my father and beg for mercy. Oh, is that my son in the distance? Yeah, let's throw a party in honor of my lost son's return. So although the younger son wasted all of his money, his father welcomed him back and forgave him. It seemed like the perfect ending to a happy story. But Jesus was not done telling the story yet. As you may remember, there was the older brother. The father's older son was working in the fields. Suddenly, he heard a strange sound in the distance. Boots and cuts and boots and cuts and boots and cuts and boots and cuts. Wait, what is that noise? Are they having a party over there? The older son was confused. Why would they be having a party? He asked the servant what was going on. The servant said, your brother has come home. Your father has killed the fattest calf. He has done this because your brother is back safe and sound. His lost brother had finally come home. But the older son didn't see that as a reason to celebrate. How could my father do this to me? There's no way I'm going in there. So the father came out and begged the older son to join the party. Oh, my son, please, please come and celebrate with us. Look, all these years, I've always obeyed your orders. You never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But this son of yours wasted your money. Now he comes home, and for him, you kill the fattest calf? The father explained, it wasn't that he didn't love the older son, 
He was just so happy that the younger son had come home. Oh, my son, everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad. This brother of yours, he was dead, and now he is alive again. He was lost, and now he is found. Wow, that was so good and so dramatic. Let's give our puppets a big hand. That's where Jesus ended the story. He didn't say if the older son listened to his father. It's up to us to imagine for ourselves. I wonder, did the son join the celebration with his family and friends? Did he give up on the jealousy and hurt he felt? Did he choose to forgive his brother? Did he stay outside and stay mad at his dad because he thought it wasn't fair? Did he stay mad at his brother because he thought he did not deserve a party? You know what, when we choose not to forgive Miss Amy, that's when we miss out on all the good things that God has for our lives and for the lives of everyone around us. Here's an activity your family can do at home. Place a piece of wrapped candy in front of each family member and give them a cotton ball. Think of something that you may be holding against someone. The cotton ball represents whatever that is. Now, hold on to the cotton ball with both hands and squeeze as tight as you can. While you're squeezing, try to unwrap that candy bar or piece of candy. Come on, Miss Christy, you've got this. I do, it's yes. gonna be easy. Okay. Um, can you okay. hurry? Because I'm really wanting that candy. Oh, oh, Miss Amy. Come on. I can't do it. Just like you can't grab onto the candy bar while focusing on squeezing the cotton ball, when you're holding on to grudges and focusing on how someone may have wronged you, you could miss out on a lot, like friendships, joy, a party. It can cost a lot to hold on to a grudge. It can be really tough to forgive. You know why? If we're honest, we want everything to be fair. It's tough when we feel like someone does not deserve our forgiveness. But the truth is, Miss Amy, we have all messed up. We all need forgiveness. When people experience God's love and experience His forgiveness, that, my friend, is a reason to celebrate. From the beginning, God had a plan to fix our relationship with Him. That's why He sent His Son, Jesus, to be our Savior. And He wants us to fix our relationship with each other, too. That's right. Families, we miss you guys so much, and we cannot wait to see you again face-to-face. But until then, remember to go to the App Store and download the free app, Parent Q. From there, you can get lessons age-specific to each of your children. Bye, everyone. We miss you. Bye.